Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ethics in football, we dug ourselves a hole. Is it right or wrong to smash a player's skull? Hey, no easy answers, but there's one thing I know. Now it's time to play that banjo. Football's our favorite, but won't you please take note? We see it's got some problems, we're all in the same boat. Reckoning with football's past, I reckon you better paddle fast. Boys, I think I hear that banjo. Welcome to Banjo College Football, the world's most ethical college football podcast on the sports drink radio network sports network we're still working that thing out uh but uh we are officially um on the spotify green room app no longer the locker room app um so you know big things big changes coming for everyone and uh we're happy to have you here with us right now Uh, i'm your host kevin paul as always soon to be joined by my co-conspirator ross mccarran fortunately andrew and brian can't make the show tonight unfortunately but we're going to soldier on uh, without them. Obviously, a pretty big week today in college football news, really college athletics news as a whole, uh, with the NCAA taking a big old fat L in court, uh, the court, some would say. Uh, you know, us being about a month out from media days, as well as playoff expansion talk uh, as a whole. Uh, we're going to give Ross a minute to join us here, but I'll let you know I'm recording this from Washington, D.C., uh, my good friend's apartment. He so graciously granted me some space to record here. I've got a little bit of vacation time uh, in D.C., hopefully seeing some friends across the East Coast later this week. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, One second. We are, excuse me, there we go. We're adding Ross to the chat right now, folks. Uh, So, Ross, how's it going, fam? It's going pretty well, KP. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I had a bit of a 90-second soliloquy there before you hopped on. And, uh, God, I hope no one, you know, axed out of the show. But, God, we're both here now. So what's up? You know, I'm uh, living the dream here in our nation's capital. Just uh, thrilled that my my friend and co-host decided to come join us here in the swamp. It's been, you know, the the swamp's been a great time. I have a thing where, and I know I'm far from the only person here, whenever I visit a new city or even an old city, I always think after a couple of drinks, man, I could, I can, I can move here. And I don't have that with DC. I love it here. I love the people here. Uh, the energy is actually pretty nice, but I have zero desire to ever live in this city. And I think that's okay. You know, KP, I think that's okay too. Okay, <laughs> good. I, I, I have enjoyed your time here. We haven't had as much time together as I would have liked. Obviously, we have a, you have a lot of friends here. We got to make sure we see everybody. But no, I don't think 
I've never felt you as like a real DC guy. Right. I, I, I don't see myself as a DC guy either. So that, it's good that, you know, I'm on the same page as other people. Self-awareness is so important. Um, important and I would, Russ, I, Russ, I would say that right now, you know, we could go Stockton and Malone on this episode again. But, um, God, I can't think of two worse people to compare ourselves to. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like from the beginning, we should have gone Jokic and Murray on our two. Jokic and Murray, yeah, you know, rest in peace to Jamal Murray. Lord carry him now. Um, but we, we hope we can see him again next season. Um, Ross, big week in college athletics news. Um, it, the- it really was. I I have read more words of uh, Supreme Court opinions than I have in a very long time. Yeah, I, this was one of the... I, I may have read full opinions like less than 20 times in my life. This was clearly one of them. Um, that's, a, that's a higher number than I would have expected. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, look, I've lived a long life. Uh, I've been reading opinions since 2012. So over nine years, something like, you know, 14 opinions or whatever. That's, you know, sometimes you just get bored when you're in your law and econ class and you just read an opinion. Or you could do, you know, the assignment for law and econ class and read an opinion, but you know. they can't, they, they can't take my degree away from me, Ross. Um, <laughs> they, that they, that they can't. Um, but so, as someone who sat next to you in that class, we did have assigned, <laughs> assigned court opinions that we were supposed to read. <laughs> and yet, and yet, uh, but and yet, but yeah, as um as a lot of our listeners are probably aware of, the NCAA took a big old fat L in court um on Monday, uh, basically uh, being put to task by the Supreme Court to essentially open the gateways to athlete compensation uh, in different ways, shapes, and forms. Um, name, image, and likeness legislation was always going to happen, uh, no matter what the NCAA did or in this case didn't do. Um, and the Supreme Court brought it straight to the NCAA's doorstep and basically said this, you, you cannot continue uh, the way you have been operating so far. NCAA is basically running around like they're Pac. And uh, basically, uh, Brett Kavanaugh told them they couldn't do that, of all people. Uh, Ross, I want to read a few highlights from Kavanaugh's opinion. I'm not going to read the whole thing uh, because even though that'd be great radio, uh, I, I don't think that's appropriate right now. So going to run through some highlights real quick. And yep. from here on out, I will be speaking in Kavanaugh's voice. Um, the NCAA acknowledges please, that it could... Please, Kevin, I would beg of you, <laughs> you may use his words, but do not ever speak in Brett Kavanaugh's voice. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. <laughs> the NCAA acknowledges that it controls the market for college athletes. The NCAA concedes that its compensation rules set the price of student-athlete labor at a below-market rate. And the NCAA recognizes that student athletes currently have no meaningful ability to negotiate with the NCAA over the compensation rules. All of the restaurants in a region cannot come together to cut cooks' wages on the theory that customers prefer to eat food from low-paid cooks. Movie studios cannot collude to slash benefits to camera crews to kindle a spirit of amateurism in Hollywood. Price-fixing labor is price-fixing labor. The bottom line is that the NCAA and its member colleges are suppressing the pay of student-athletes who collectively generate billions of dollars in revenue for colleges every year. Those enormous sums of money flow seemingly to everyone except the student-athletes. 
college presidents, athletic directors, coaches, conference commissioners, and NCAA executives take in six- and seven-figure salaries. Colleges build lavish new facilities, but the student-athletes who generate the revenues, many of whom are African-American and come from lower-income backgrounds, end up with little or nothing. Nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. The NCAA is not above the law. Um, man, if any of us were good at editing, uh, we put the Andrew. When you edit this, please put the ether beat uh, behind this, because this is basically the the most the NCAA has been taking the task pretty much ever, right? At least in the modern era. I don't have a solid uh, solid history of any other time the NCAA has been sort of you know thrown down like this. Um, but mm-hmm. one thing I will I would like to clarify uh for those of us who you know did not do all the reading in law and econ class back in college um (laughs) what we want to make sure is clear here is that what everyone is quoting and what kp just read from is what noted uh beer drinker and calendar lover brett kavanaugh wrote as a concurring opinion so the supreme court voted nine eight no to affirm the lower court's decision so the district court made a decision um, the Supreme Court said, we're holding it up. Brett Kavanaugh decided that the uh, the opinion of the court, which was written by Justice Gorsuch, did not go far enough in why he was voting for this. So he said, I'm voting for the same thing, but I didn't get there in the same way. So I'm going to write my own opinion. The other eight justices signed on to the majority opinion of the court, which was uh, not quite as scathing. Something that is interesting in that, like, the majority opinion, while also dunking on the NCAA over and over again, because it's almost impossible not to when you hear their legal arguments, seemed to agree, they extended this idea that uh, educational benefits can't be restricted, but, you know, athletic benefits, straight payments, all that stuff can be, whereas Kavanaugh was much more uh, pro employee for the first time possibly ever um yeah but the man does love a free market so we'll give him that uh but the one thing that i i will say is that like it is almost impossible to overstate how bad the ncaa is at this they have Mm. been skirting on this idea that they've just been around forever for so long since they were originally sort of created by Teddy Roosevelt at the same time he created the NFL, like in 1906 or whatever it was, that they've just been sort of hanging out thinking we're so great. One of the things that I want to call to you, sorry, KP, I don't know if you have any, if you want to get in a quick dunk on the NCAA, I'm going to get a little, uh, just make some points about their terrible legal practices. No, go for it. So I spent my, spent this week reading Justice Gorsuch's words, the majority of the the opinion of the majority of the court, speaking for the court. And the NCAA made the argument in court that uh, one of the restrictions of a monopoly is that it is uh, subject to reasonable analysis. Is that, you know, uh, the Sherman Antitrust Act said you can't restrict it at all. 
in practice that's become restricted by reasonable analysis. So like if the restriction benefits the consumer, it's allowed to go on. Um, It's not a all restrictions are bad type deal. The NCAA said they're the lower court's judgment. They were the ones that brought this to the Supreme. They brought this to the Supreme Court, not the athletes. Said the lower courts were mm. wrong because they suggested their compensation restrictions should be should not be viewed with reasonable analysis. The courts should have given its restrictions <laughs> a quote abbreviated deferential review or a quote quick look before approving them. Which is how, which I understand, it's how they've survived for a hundred years. Yeah. But, it, and it's the only way it could have possibly worked, but they've been doing something that is in any other industry, as Kavanaugh said, would be illegal for a hundred years. And their argument is, don't look that closely because we've been doing it. Yeah. Like, that, that, the, the example that the court <laughs> uses is that this is in case of like if you have a merger of two uh, companies that the merged company will end up taking like five percent of the market share to, together that's what it'll add up to it's like okay well the other companies in the, your industry have 95 percent market share so it's fine we don't need to look that closely because you won't actually have that large of an effect you're already a monopoly you're not going to get this opinion and their defense so I just I need I got one other quote that I really I took out of the Gorsuch thing because all the good quotes were, were from Kavanaugh. But there's a couple good ones from the Gorsuch opinion, mm-hmm. which is, quote, the court observed, for example, that the NCAA's again inside quote only economics expert on the issue of consumer demand did not study any standard measures of consumer demand, but instead simply interviewed people connected with the NCAA and its schools who were chosen for him by defense counsel. Oh my God. Like (laughs) it's so clear that they have been wrong this whole time. But the fact that they just continue to put forth arguments which, I, I mean, mm-hmm. to be fair, they don't have a legal leg to stand on. So they had to come up with something. So they had to put out economists who would lie. Or I, I, That's a strong word. I don't know but who the economics expert that they called upon was. Maybe this person is just a very strict, I will only report what I heard, and they only let him talk to two guys. That may be yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But, like, the... It's insane that we let this go on as long as we did. It, it, it really is. Um, and th- thanks for explaining things in a little bit more detail than I <laughs> really ever could have. Um, I think that illustrated basically the entire NCAA viewpoint here. It's the, the, they basically – it was uh, a bastardized version of, oh, it's just always been this way. Oh, why was it always this way? Oh, because we made it that way. All right, cool. Do you still make the rules? Yeah. Okay, so you can change the way you do it. No, we can't because we've always done it this way. And it's like, <laughs> and it's the most circular logic, which I'm glad have, like a Supreme Court justice called that out. It's different from someone like us or even like a major journalist calling it out. But a Supreme Court justice basically pointing out the flaw in the circular logic there, uh, it means a lot uh, basically for 
you know, the eventual, uh, I don't think the NCAA is ever going to get disbanded. Um, you know, other schools can try to break away and start their own athletic association, but they're not going to get that March Madness contract. But the March Madness contract is the only thing keeping the NCAA together right now. Um, but man, it's just it, it did. It Which, to be fair, is the the court will tell you it's worth over a billion dollars that March Madness contract. So yeah. if I was in, I was in danger of losing a billion dollars. I would do almost anything to keep it. I mean, unless I'm like, you know, Jeff Bezos and I have a hundred billion dollars, in which case who cares? But like, mm-hmm. I, like, I get that they're greedy and they're, but like, there has been so much that they could have done. Like they could have wiggled on a number of issues and not really be threatened the way they are right now. Right. Because they believed for so long, and if you read Mark Emmert's response, his quote in response to the Kavanaugh concurring opinion, they still haven't learned their lesson. Like, the they took from this ruling, and everyone who jumped on the Kavanaugh opinion, as they should, because that is what will be quoted in the next lawsuit, which breaks the NCAA's back. You know, in the words mm. of uh, a, a reporter who – or not uh, – a fan of, uh, in the words of Spencer Hall, who we both like. Yes. This all the case Austin versus the NCAA was the fullback clearing out the hole. It's going to be the next lawsuit that's going to like go the distance and get hit hater. This is not the one that's going to break the NCAA. But it is so clear to everyone who read this argument and who followed this that that is what is happening here. That this mm. case has cleared out every single linebacker on the field. They just need to hand the ball to someone else. It just needs to happen. Like, yeah. the only way that this isn't horrif- horrific for the NCAA is if n- just everyone else decides, okay, that's enough. We don't want to challenge them anymore. And the way they're going to do that is they're going to use the words of the Kavanaugh opinion. But, or the Kavanaugh concurring opinion. But the NCAA, Mark Emmert came out with a statement and said, yeah, what Kavanaugh wrote was simply a concurring opinion. It was not the majority of the opinion of the court. You know that because no other justices signed on, which, to be fair, is true. If any of the other justices had agreed with Kavanaugh's position more than Gorsuch's, they could have said, I concur with Kavanaugh as well. They still would have been 9-0. But I don't understand how it's possible that they can think that they're okay. I mean, they have to know that they're not and just be publicly stating this for their own sake or for the sake of their shareholders, or I don't even know who. Maybe it's just all the college mm-hmm. presidents who say, you have to keep falling on the sword. We pay you you know, $5 million a year to be our punching bag, which they do, and he's rewarded handsomely for it, and good for Mark Emmert. Yep. It's good work if you can get it. But I don't understand how, this, how these come out, and you don't immediately think we have to do anything in our power to stay alive. We have to... In the words of Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean in Moneyball, adapt oh, no. or die. <laughs> and they have taken that as we should die. You know, yeah, they, like they, 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 they don't live by the sword. They refuse to adapt. And I don't understand how it's possible that this is a smart business model for them. I mean, they're making a ton of money right now, but they, could, they have to see that it's not going to go anywhere. 
they're making a ton of money now. And I, listen, as long as TV contracts exist, it's like, look, nothing's really st- once the March Madness contract runs out or whatever. And, you know, all the ESP, well, in, in the ESPN, well, no, that's what the conference is. It's not with the NCAA, like the NCAA, the ESPN, CBS, Fox deals. Those are what individual conferences, not the NCAA as a whole. Um, so if and when the March Madness contract ends, there's nothing really stopping like, you know, what the 65 schools plus Notre Dame and the Power Five and breaking off and starting their own athletic association. Um, the, the NCAA is basically just – The, the it provides Five, I believe you mean, KP. Yes, the Autonomous Five, excuse me. Um, the NCAA basically just provides like it, – it's basically just a, a nebulous conference room, right, to where – it's like, all right, cool. We kind of don't really have similar interests. Like Al- Alabama's, you know, priorities and interests are remarkably different from Oregon State's, who are remarkably different from Sam Houston State's, who are remarkably different from Bethune-Cookman College. But they all fall under the NCAA umbrella. Um, and it's just a conference room for if there's ever, you know, a reason for these, you know, these leaders at these schools and universities to get together, then they can do it under the NCAA's sort of, you know, watchful eye however there's nothing stopping the autonomous five plus whoever they want to bring on and, and just you know starting their own athletic association the NCAA doesn't the NCAA makes money from tv contracts right it's not like they sell a product the product is the football that the universities play the product is the baseball and the basketball and the volleyball and the tennis and the track that's the product and th- they don't need you know four letters in indianapolis to tell them when and where to do that. I, I just struggle to understand. And I know that college football is, you know, such a tradition rich sport and college basketball and all this other stuff. And like, it is, it's easy to understand because I've seen how society is obsessed with the status quo, but these seem so the existence of the NCAA just seems so incongruous with anything else. Yeah. It's kind of astonishing it's been going on this long, you know, like if you read about like the way they enforce penalties um, for recruiting violations or something like that, the NCAA will send in a investigator and they will like make a recommendation for, suspension or whatever it is, but as I understand, there's no actual enforcement measures other than all of the schools agreeing that they are under the NCAA. Like, if the NCAA had told Ole Miss, you know, hey, it's obvious that you paid a bunch of money to get the best recruiting class in your college's history. Like, you're, we, we, have, we have proof that you guys cheated. And Ole Miss said, yeah, bet, what are you going to do about it? The NCAA has no leg to stand on they don't no, like the, have a way to actually enforce that other than hoping the other schools on Ole Miss' schedule in the SEC would say, no, no, we're backing up the NCAA. We don't want to play you if you're cheating. Right. But even then, it's like, again, Ole Miss accepted the penalties levied on them, but they didn't have – like, what if Ole Miss – like, let's say what if Ole Miss played their games and obviously, like, they didn't make it to Atlanta that year, but let's say they played their games and they were bowl eligible. They finished that season 6-6. Six and six. The NCAA doesn't own, you know, the the Capital One Bowl. 
You know, they don't, the Capital One Bowl could easily just say, hey, Ole Miss, you want to come play here on New Year's Day? And Ole Miss could be like, yeah, and they, they can play the game. That game is owned and operated by ESPN. It's at least owned by ESPN. I'm not sure if it's operated by them, but you, you get the point. Um, it's uh, there, There's no real subpoena power there. And that's why Stephen Godfrey, another sort of spiritual godfather to this podcast, has always said there's, no, there's never any incentive to cooperate with the NCAA. Never has been. Never has been. Um, and I'm not saying for schools to just go out and start rampant cheating, but, I mean, if you get caught, it's like – you don't. You don't need to cooperate. The NCAA, they're not real. They're real, but they're not. You know, it shouldn't be expected. They don't even need to. Their authority is barely recognizable now, and it's going to dwindle as the years go on, as we enter into a new age of player and you know individual student athlete empowerment. I'm curious how the NCAA expects to enforce any sort of NIL restriction? Because obviously each state is passing its own laws. The NCAA has essentially already thrown up their hands and said, we're unable to do this ourselves. Congress, please take this over for us. And I watched the hearings in the Senate, and it was clear that the Senate committee members were very obviously saying, we don't know enough about your sport. Why are we the ones tasked with coming up with a fair and equitable law with three weeks until the first state imposes this. And it's just the exact same thing the NCAA has always done, which is that they like hoped the problem wouldn't actually come until someone actually just sort of put it on their doorstep. And I just don't understand how, like if a state, uh, let's say, um, I think Florida has passed an NIL law, right? Right. Um, let's or say someone, yeah, well, for, we're going to use Florida because I, I don't know enough to know exactly who's who's instituting it on July 1st. But let's say Florida's comes into effect on July 1st and um, a Florida athlete signs a endorsement deal with a company that um, that company then changes states to Florida or that athlete then transfers to Mizzou. I, I don't know why they would do this, but they do. Yeah, and uh, he's from St. Louis, and he's he's a little homesick. Let's say, you know, yeah, he's he's a little homesick. He transfers back to Mizzou because he wants to be closer to his family. And Mizzou, in this hypothetical, because I don't know exactly if they have one or not, Missouri does not have an NIL law. In this instance, the NCAA is expecting that student to just give up that endorsement deal, give up that income, and. I don't expect now if this player doing this, this is not, this is likely not a guy who has signed a hundred thousand dollar deal because he is the next Trevor Lawrence. That guy is not transferring. Um, this is a guy who has and has an agreement that he's going to get paid eighty bucks every time he tweets about his favorite chicken place or whatever it may be. Like, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a small thing like that. Yeah, but, it's, not, it's not going to be, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Mercedes commercials throughout the season. It's not going to – it's not realistic. Yeah, but, like, this person – now, one of their arguments against NIL has long been a competitive imbalance in recruiting in that Florida can say, hey, all of our alumni want to give you these deals and the zoo can't. But how do they expect this person, if they want to go home for reasons that are more important to them 
than giving up this $80 a week. To give up the $80 a week, like that is, give up $100 a week, give up $1,000 a month, whatever it may be, like, they, what's their enforcement metric? How do they expect that to stop? Then I don't that, see a way that it possibly could. That's a good hypothetical. And I also think it's worth considering what happens if, let's say, in this case, the, per, the student athlete, he remains at Florida for his entire weather career, but obviously he's from Missouri and there's a local restaurant there that says, hey, we'll give you a hundred bucks per tweet up to 10 tweets a month if you tweet about our place. And it's just a hometown and it's in his hometown. He's enrolled at Florida. He is, you know, a student athlete there. He has been there for three years and he's on track to graduate, et cetera, et cetera. He's a resident there. He got a new ID when he moved, the whole nine yards. Uh, but a place back home that you know he was a frequent customer at just tells him, "Hey, we want to pay you to tweet about this." What's like? Obviously, like he should be allowed to, but how's the NCAA plan on enforcing that? They can't. They can't. They, the short answer is they can't. But it, <laughs> it's going to be funny so to the, see the, them the try. The issue is that they're gonna. I, I I guess their expectation would have to be that the local police would enforce this. In that if the oh. state has not passed a law making it legal, then that inherently makes it illegal, and they're going to arrest this guy? Because that's not going to happen. You, you have to go back yeah. to the, the Constitution. They, like All rights not enumerated in this Constitution are assumed to be belonging to the people. That's a paraphrasing of it, but essentially... Unless the Constitution says you don't have this right, it is assumed that you do because we're a government of the people. Like, I don't, even if this player, let's say, this player goes to Florida, stays in Florida their entire career, signs a deal with a Gainesville restaurant, they're going to go home at some point over summer break, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're being paid to tweet. What happens when they tweet from their parents' living room in St. Louis? The NCAA has been acting as some sort of legal entity for far too long, and it's funny to see them. I mean, they lose every time because they're not a legal entity. They're just a group of athletic directors. That's all they are, and athletic directors do very important work and you know, have a lot of respect for them, especially with uh, many of them, how busy their schedules are and all the responsibilities of their job. But it's a group of ADs. It's a group of ADs and university presidents. That's all the NCAA has ever been, and it's like – <laughs> Are you going to really enforce that? Why does it matter? There are bigger questions. There are bigger fish to fry here. I mean, damn, we can't even get a we can't even get healthcare for college athletes who have their lives permanently altered because their coach decided to put them in on you know a third and nineteen in a twenty eight point game in the fourth quarter. <laughs> so, I have a question for you, KP. That I don't know if you know this better than I would. Do Talk you think that COVID has accelerated any of this? Because in my mind, like in this moment, I'm, I'm just sort of having this thought as we're going, and I know I've had mm-hmm. this before, like if the NCAA couldn't come together on a coherent, enforceable plan as it came to COVID precautions on campuses for teams, for athletes this past season, this is like the largest threat that college football has seen in a long time in terms of an actual threat, not an NCAA. Oh my goodness, this is going to ruin football threat. Like this, that was... We, we had a lot of conversations last summer about how there wasn't going to be a season. We were certain there would not be a season. And 
Mm-hmm. Every conference mm-hmm. put out their own rules, and they all figured out their own stuff. And the FCS pushed to spring. The FBS didn't. Big Ten, Pac-12, yada, yada. But if the NCAA couldn't come together on that to, like, actually protect the student-athletes and the first thing that's actually threatening them, is it possible mm-hmm. that some of this, that opinions changed over that, whether legally or either in maybe in university presidents or something? Like, the NCAA offered no protection to the universities in this, and the universities got slammed. Yeah, they... That, that's a great point. I'm pretty sure, like, the NCAA, with as much money and resources and influence as they have, could not come together and form a cohesive plan. It's because there's no, like, guy in charge of college football. And I just think having a college football commissioner, whoever that is, would, you know, work wonders for the NCAA. But they, that would basically be them admitting that they don't know what they're doing and they'll never do that. Um, but also, I just think the pandemic and obviously with all of with everything that happened last summer, it basically laid bare all of our country's issues in a much more, um, you know, it, it put everything on front street, basically, right? Like we we were all inside. We were all online more than we ever have been, you know, in the past year plus now. Um, we were able to pay much closer attention to everything, uh, racial justice, police violence, um, you know, the lack of opportunities and resources for the less fortunate of us. Obviously, all those things are related, but they also circle back to college football. And it's sort of how college, how this podcast got started. I actually think we missed our one year anniversary recently. Um, but yeah, I just think with everything of the last you know, 15 months, it, every single issue in this country was made very obvious to even the most casual observer. Uh, and the NCAA is obviously. I'm not saying the NCAA is a threat to you know American public health, but you know an organization that answers to nobody, that rules with an iron fist, that doesn't have any actual authority. That's a little indicative of America's issues. And with everything that's happened over the, the last year plus, there's just no trust with the NCAA anymore. It's not like they've ever really earned it, but especially now, um, and it, it's gone forever. They're they're just kind of an empty husk at this point, or they're trending that way at least. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. 
Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. just astonishing to me like I, I shouldn't be surprised by anything anymore i know you know you and i had a similar conversation about all this enforcement stuff when it came to the the literal government last summer thinking about mm-hmm. like you know if one party refuses to accept the results of an election do we have any enforcement measures to stop it turns out that was a not a hypothetical conversation that we had and we don't <laughs> have any but you know that's for another day and another podcast uh, yeah, I, I I do want to say this very quickly, and I've been ragging on the NCAA a lot over the last you know, 10 years or so of my life. Um, but <laughs> there was one point where the NCAA was necessary. As you mentioned, Teddy Roosevelt, um, back in the early 1900s, I mean, people were dying left and right playing college football. So the institution yes. of something considering – something resembling a government body um, or a ruling body – was kind of necessary. There needed to be some regulation, some uniformity across the sport. Um, and it was also when these, I mean, college football didn't make money then. It was a, it was like, an, it was another club, you know, the same way you and I were in a business fraternity, the same way, you know, someone would join, you know, the, someone would, you know, be part of the drama club at a high school. The same way in college, it's like, oh, it was intramurals. It was basically a super organized intramurals, a mix between intramural and club sports. That's all. That's all college football and collegiate sports were. And then eventually, is, is, sorry, go on. I was gonna say that that is true of the very beginning of it. I will mm-hmm. um, encourage anybody who is interested. There's a lot of great places to find the history, but as it relates to our conversation right now. Uh, the majority opinion of the court in Austin versus the NCAA written by Justice Gorsuch does do a pretty good job over the first sort of page and a half of the opinion, breaking down the history of the NCAA, the deaths in the NCAA in college football in the 1890s, uh, the construction of what was the original sort of proto NCAA of Harvard, Yale and Princeton with who sat down with Teddy Roosevelt through to the 1940s when they really started having what we resemble now, which is academic scholarships um, but restrictions on payment and all that stuff. So that is pretty interesting. Um, if you want a quick and dirty, as KP was just alluding to, as to why it was created and sort of what happened over the first 70 or so years of college football that led to what most closely resembles the NCAA we have today, which was really started in 1948. Right. Um, and, and again, when television networks became a thing because it's like back then it's like obviously it's it's 1912 
you're not thinking, oh, dang, got to tune into ESPN at noon to watch Wisconsin versus Indiana. Like, no, that's not a thing. That's not, <laughs> I mean, that's not how people thought about anything back then. But as the sport became more popular and TV networks got involved, um, more power started getting stripped away from the conferences themselves and the, the really the teams themselves. And just, you know, basically uh, the Columbia Broadcasting System uh, the Walt Disney Company, and yeah, and the Walt Disney Company, yeah, they own Fox now. Um, <laughs> so basically, two companies hold the entire fortune of college football, and as the biggest money maker across all NCAA programs, you know, <laughs> athletics as a whole is in the hands of two companies. Um, and this was when the NCAA was formed, and Teddy Roosevelt was in, you know, kind of instituting these changes. There's no way to predict any of that. Um, however, that was over 100 years ago, and the NCAA still serves the exact same purpose, which is obsolete at this point. Um, am I calling for the destruction of the NCAA? Absolutely. Um, but, for, <laughs> um, but for now, I, I will take today and this week, I will take a very, very embarrassing day in court as a compromise. Yeah, I – it is kind of wild that obviously this is the hubris of a young podcast host to whom nothing bad has ever happened. But like literally I took business law and law and econ in college. I didn't attend law school. Mm -hmm. I've helped some friends study for the LSAT because I like the logic section of that test. I don't know anything about law other than I'm friends with some lawyers. And when I read what some of this stuff is, I think that I would stand a decent chance going up in court against the NCAA right now. Yeah. If I was the I mean, lawyer. And that's insane for an, or, for an organization with this much money and ostensibly this much power. One is, you know, ensconced in American society as it is that yeah. I would like, I mean, realistically I'd probably lose because like they would come up with some weird court case from like 1840 that proved me wrong. But like, I think I would just need, like, you know, a couple weeks off of work, you know, in a law library, come up with some cases. Like, it's insane that this seems, that they seem as uh, vulnerable as they are right now, especially when it comes to legal standing. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> this is basically, I mean, this is the emperor's new clothes, right? This is just... <laughs> Like, oh, you've been walking around naked this entire time, but no one was, like, you know, brave enough to tell you? <laughs> and here we are. Here we are. Um, so, Ross, that's a lot of legal talk. Maybe the most legal talk we've ever had um, on this podcast. Maybe the most you and I have had since we took that faithful law and econ class together. Um, KP, I would like to assure you that you and I have talked more law tonight than we ever did during the semester that you and I were in a law and econ class together. Yeah, my apologies that, that, to our our esteemed professor, uh, who I then TA'd for for two years, and whom I liked a great deal. But uh, yeah, he was a great professor. I just I had no business in that class, and yet I I ran with that B plus, and you can't take it away from me. Um, so <laughs> moving on to uh, the topic that we're going to sort of close the show out with, Ross. We've talked. We've talked a lot about playoff expansion. You know, it's been 
And with that expansion talk, it's been reported that, you know, some leagues are considering changing their own championship format. Um, obviously, we saw it with the Big 12 a few years ago. They basically decided if there's one extra data point for the Big 12 champion, that would help them uh, make more playoffs than miss it. And truth be told, Oklahoma has made three of the past four playoffs, um, you know, and they only made one of the first three. Or the Big 12 champion only made one of the first three, I should say. Um, the Big 12's one true champion, that is. Exactly, right, exactly. When they could have just said, oh, yeah, hey, by the way, it's Baylor, and they just kind of decided not to do that <laughs> in 2014. Um, you know, Obviously, when you change your championship format, all of the major conference, all of all, pretty much every conference, no, I think, except this. No, even the Sunbelt has a championship game now. Um, you know, no one's going to get rid of the championship game because they, they all make relatively a lot of money. Uh, you adjust they for scale money. when you go to the you adjust for scale when you go to the smaller conferences. But obviously, the SEC is keeping their championship game and. You know, the Big 12, I've seen a lot of – it's been Oklahoma for the last four years of it, but that's been a very successful enterprise for them. The ACC has been doing it since 2005, I think, um, Big 10 in 2011, um, and the Pac-12 in 2011 as well. Um, however, <laughs> the formats of the championship games are mostly based on geography. When the SEC originally split, um, it was mainly to preserve rivalries was the, the big thing. Um, Alabama's permanent opponent was Tennessee and Georgia's was Auburn. All the other ones are fairly arbitrary, um, but when the split happened, those two rivalries were the main ones that they tried to preserve. Um, however, we've seen the Big 12 cannibalize themselves twice in 98 and 2007, um, you know, when Kansas State and Missouri respectively lost those championship games when they all they had to do was win and make the BCS title game. Uh, in 2001, Tennessee lost a huge upset game to LSU. Um, that was a win-in situation in Ohio State in 2013. Um, Urban Meyer's first loss at Ohio State um, in year two. Uh, that kept them out of the BCS title game. Um, so my point is, uh, another spiritual godfather in this podcast, Bill Connolly, has proposed a pod system many, many times in the past. And basically, you have three permanent opponents – and the other opponents in your conference, you would play sort of on a rotational basis. Ross, we are both Alabama graduates. I can't imagine a world where we don't play Auburn and Tennessee every year. Would you agree? I I can see those being pretty well protected. Yes. Um, past that, who would be the third team in Alabama's pod that you'd like them to play every year? So there's an obvious one. Mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, it's literally uh, written in, in song. Um, and I, I, you and I have talked about this and I, I know you disagree, but I, I can't walk away from it being LSU. You know, mm -hmm. I understand that I come to this later in life and in a much more recent history. There are people who know more about this and, uh, have a better history with it. I really started watching college football closely in 2013 uh, I only know modern Alabama history very well. But I think the Alabama LSU, despite the fact that outside of the Joe Burrow year, it hasn't been very even recently, neither has Tennessee. But it's, I think that it is really great. And I think if you asked a lot of LSU fans, they would probably want to play Alabama as well. And 
I enjoy playing Georgia. We have some history there. Um, they're ready you know, to our fight song. They they are, and I think you know if you asked A and M, despite I mean they I think they want Saban to retire first, but I think there might be a little bit of sort of growing friendly animosity there. But I just don't see anyone coming close. Obviously, no one comes close to the level of Tennessee and Auburn, but I think it's LSU by a by a good margin. Do you so you disagree though, right? Well, I I, I agree that. If pods actually does happen, it'll clearly be LSU. I don't think there's any reason to believe it won't be. Uh, but personally, I'd like to play Florida. Um, you know, before the expansion of the SEC in 1991 or 92, I think they agreed to expand in 91, and 92 was the first year of the full expansion. Um, yes, it was a 10-team league, and it was pretty much a round robin, um, you know, from the mid-'70s on. So Alabama and Florida have a ton of history, actually, together um, going back through the 1950s and 60s, um, just as, you know, charter members of the Southeastern Conference. And listen, this is just me being selfish. Uh, I'm, as people who listen to this podcast know, I'm born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, the LSU game is my favorite year in, year out, no matter how bad they are, like they were in 2020. Still my favorite game of the year. We play Florida so little, and the modern SEC was built on Florida and Alabama championship games. Uh, like of the first, I think of the first eight championship games, five of them were Florida versus Bama, and that's uh, that means a lot to sort of how we view the conference in this day and age. Um, Florida grew up as a program because they finally were able to beat Alabama. Um, on a major stage. I mean, they won their first national title in 1996 and they had to beat Alabama in the SEC championship game in years prior to get to that point. Um, I I just enjoy playing Florida a lot. I think it's a great rivalry overall. Um, I do think the classic that they played in Atlanta this past December was really indicative of that. It's clearly going to be LSU when the point pods happen, but uh, I'd like to see Florida. Um, A&M I don't think will ever happen um, and obviously LSU wants Bama as well but Ross are you familiar with how LSU fans view rivalry as a concept I'm sure it's less uh, intelligent than yours so I would really like to give you the floor to really expound on this so I will lead by saying that um, LSU only has one trophy, technically two, but one of the trophies came up. It started in 2008, so I'm not even counting that. LSU has one trophy game. Um, it is their game against Arkansas, where they play golden for the golden, the golden boot, which is literally a weapon. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's As a 200, all good trophies should be. It's a 200-pound like gold outline of the states of Arkansas and Louisiana that for some reason is like as thin as a knife. Um, so it's a there's case, but it's certainly a trophy game. Um, and before a and joined the SEC, that was the game at the end of the season for LSU every year. Um, LSU fans consider Arkansas maybe their fourth biggest rival. Uh, so many fans that grew up rooting for LSU in the 50s and 60s will tell you that they hate Ole Miss more than anyone in the world. Um, 
in the 70s and 80s, that shift, that hate shifted towards Alabama as their chief rival. Um, going into the 90s and the 2000s, that turned into Auburn. And um, with Saban coming back to Alabama, the 2010s, and it's looking like the 2020s, uh, Alabama has sort of taken that spot as LSU's chief rival now. It's basically whoever they hate the most at the time. Um, what I'm saying is if you – right now LSU's two pod – LSU's two obvious pod members are Ole Miss and A&M, I think. Um, LSU and A&M have a pretty interesting rivalry going back in the 80s and 90s um, due to their history as military schools. It's actually pretty interesting if you ever want to read up on it. But, I mean, it's obvious now just because LSU says it's obvious, right? If if pods came about in 2006 or whatever, I mean, they'd kill you if Auburn's not in their pod. <laughs> you know, maybe if pods come out in 2041, I don't know, maybe it's Arkansas at that point. So LSU fans will tell you Bama's their arch rival. LSU doesn't have an arch rival. Um, LSU has a club of people that they pick and choose um, depending on circumstance who their chief rival is at the moment. Huh. Yeah, it, it's actually pretty interesting. They... um I think it's very, it's very, it's probably the most Louisiana thing about them. It's that they don't just hate one single entity just because there are very specific reasons why they hate people at the times that they hate them. Um, and there as are long several as people that they very specifically hate. Yes, very much so. It's quite Louisiana. It's quite endearing, honestly. It's the thing I respect the most about them. Um, but yeah, so the that thing was I respect pod- the most about LSU is the food. You know what that that tracks that tracks um yeah speaking of i'm gonna give a quick shout out to um my good friend zach rao um is the ringleader of dba tailgating um if you're on our wing of college football twitter just do a quick search for dba tailgating um and you'll find out what we're talking about uh so i just wanted to give a quick shout out to them and the outstanding work they do every football season i'm very excited for them to have a full year where you know tailgating is allowed on campus coming up, Ross. Most, great show most today. definitely. I, I've only attend. I've only been blessed to attend one of those tailgates, but it was it was truly a an exceptional experience. Ross, uh, great show today. I really enjoyed going uh, Isaiah Thomas and Bill Lambeer with you. You know, KP, me too as well. Some can call it. Some some have called us the bad boys of podcasting that um, is that is definitely a thing that many people are saying about us exactly and even though we are bad boys this is still the world's most ethical college football podcast um folks thanks for listening so much we will hopefully uh, you know be speaking to you again next week with a slightly fuller house but uh yeah ross great show i uh, looking forward to talking to you soon and um, yeah, any parting words, parting shots for the good people of Banjo? Uh, you know, no, just uh, make sure you do your reading in classes, folks, because KP doesn't and, you know, or he didn't. And now I understand sort of Supreme Court opinions and he doesn't. So do your reading. It's important. Well, you can still get your degree without doing your reading. Thanks again, folks. Finish your breakfast. Talk to you soon.